must have been an exciting time for those people in Jerusalem as Jesus rode in. Here now was their king, and they just voiced their praises of him. Well, we might simply say something like, well, everybody enjoys a parade. You maybe have had some parades that you've enjoyed, maybe especially if it was a victory parade because your team won. Parades are exciting, full of lots of color and drama and music, just a lot of excitement, a lot of joy. But I've got a feeling that not everybody likes a parade. You know, if it's not your team that won, you probably aren't interested in that victory parade. Or if you needed to get through the city and that parade was blocking off the streets you needed to use, and now you were detoured and delayed, you're probably a little upset with that parade. But sometimes people use parades often as a way for them to make a statement, something they're unhappy about. Uh, instead of calling it a parade, then we call it a, a march or a protest. It's their way of explaining or, or showing that they want some change or disappointed or upset about something. And as much as we think about Palm Sunday as a very exciting event, there were also a few people who didn't like that parade because it wasn't what they wanted to see. Today, as we finish off our series of messages entitled, At the Crossroads, we want to ask ourselves that question, how do we respond when things that happen on the road we're walking on are not what we expected or what we wanted? Will we voice our protest or will we voice our praise? Let's listen in to the account of that first Palm Sunday and see what was going on. From John chapter 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Did you notice the two views of this parade? There were people who were excited and joyous and people who were complaining. What was going on? Well, it came down to a matter of perspective. You know, it depends how you look at something, right? Here's a little car a cartoon to illustrate that. 
the guy on the left who's been sitting on this little deserted island is all excited because he sees a boat coming. And the guy on the right side who's been in this boat for a long time is all excited because he finally sees dry land. They're both looking at the same thing, but with a different perspective. You see, perspective makes a difference. With all the remodel work and uh, looking at things closely, I noticed the other day in our entryway that was just freshly painted that there's a spot about this big that used the wrong paint. <laughs> now, as you look straight on at it, it blends in perfectly. But if you go to the side at the right angle, you'll see it was the wrong paint. Now, I'm not going to tell you where it is. You can look for it yourself. But what I'm trying to show is that just simply the way you look at something, the perspective you have changes your reaction. And that's maybe true for the things that we see or experience on the road that we walk on called life. Maybe we see things from different perspectives. And sometimes maybe the parade that we have about those things is really a protest, a protest against God's way of doing things. Now you might say, wow, that's kind of strong, protesting against God's way of doing things. But you'll see that sometimes we do that, just like some of those people in the crowd in Jerusalem. Now you might say, well, how do we protest against God? Well, we do it sometimes with our complaints. With our complaints, we're simply saying, I don't like this. Have you ever complained about something? Maybe the weather? Maybe about rising gas prices? Maybe it was about the way McDonald's made your hamburger. <laughs> and what do you do when you're upset with it, right? You go and complain, hoping that they'll either change it or next time do a better job. What you're simply saying is, I don't like this. And that's what was happening even in that crowd, that joyous crowd. There were some people who were saying, I don't like this. John said, so the Pharisees were saying one to another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. We already know they didn't like Jesus. They were upset with the things that he was teaching. They didn't like the way things were going. In fact, they had a plan to get rid of him. But when they saw that the crowd was just so exuberant over Jesus, they were upset. All these people are following him. They're not listening to us anymore. They did not like it. And so they're complaining. You and I may find a time when we are complaining against God too. Maybe there are things going on in our life that we don't like. Maybe an illness, maybe a job change, maybe some financial trouble or troubles in a relationship, and we don't like it. And we think, it shouldn't be this way. God can make a difference. Why isn't he making a difference? Why am I going through these difficult times? I'm one of God's people. Shouldn't I be blessed? That's kind of a common theme or question that we can find in many pages in Scripture. 
go back uh, several thousand years before this time in Jerusalem, when, when the Israelites are captives in Egypt for hundreds of years under very hard manual labor, and they're crying out to God for release, wondering, why isn't he doing anything? On other pages of Scripture, we hear that question asked. Why do the righteous suffer? We don't like that. In fact, that complaint then turns into a criticism. This isn't right. Criticism means to make a judgment about something. When you criticize something, you're saying, that's not the way it should be. It's not right. So it was with the Pharisees in the crowd. They were saying, this isn't right. In fact, when St. Luke describes this Palm Sunday, he notes another thing the Pharisees said. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, they were saying, They're not doing what's right. Rebuke them. Correct them. Well, what were these followers of Jesus doing? Well, we're told they took palm branches and went out to meet him. Palm branches were a sign of victory. They were honoring Jesus as they're waving these palm branches. And they're shouting, Hosanna, which is a Hebrew word that means, come, save us now. It was a phrase that was taken out of one of the Psalms that referred to the coming Messiah. It was a prayer asking that the Messiah would save them. And so when they're saying this in front of Jesus, they're acknowledging Jesus is their Messiah, and they want him to save them. Likewise, they also said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That was taken from one of those messianic psalms too. It was another statement acknowledging why Jesus had come, that his mission was to bring salvation. They even said, blessed is the king of Israel. They're acknowledging Jesus as their king. Well, all of that upset the Pharisees because they said they were the rulers. They knew how they would be saved through their obedience to the laws that had been established. And so they were criticizing. Rebuke those disciples. Correct them. It's not right. Sometimes people today make that criticism of God too. They'll say, or of, of God's people, the church, they'll say, that's not right what you are teaching. Just recently released was a, a new survey of Americans and their spiritual beliefs. This chart summarizes a few things. All, all the red bars are the answers that the evangelical Christians gave, those Bible-believing Christians like us. And then those two uh, lighter blue uh, bars in the middle of all those charts were from what they label now as SBNR people. SBNR stands for spiritual but not religious. In other words, they'll claim to believe in God, but they don't belong to any particular church. Now, the one bar, the uh, darker blue one, that, uh, the small one, would, would be people who claim to be Christian, but they don't belong to any church. And then the real light blue one is people who claim to be spiritual, 
but they don't belong to any church at all. In fact, they're probably not even Christian. So when these questions were asked of them, these were the responses. When they said, do you agree with the statement there is only one God? Look at those bars in the middle. Only half the people said, no, there's more than one God. Or the next one, God is the all-powerful, all-knowing, perfect creator of the universe who rules the world today. Look how those numbers drop way down for people who claim to be spiritual but not religious. That third column, it says, God represents, so we could maybe put God in quotation marks, huh? God represents a state of higher consciousness that a person may reach. Now all those people who are spiritual say, yeah, that's what God is, a, a state of higher consciousness. And you see how the evangelical Christians say, oh, no, not at all, because we believe God is a personal being. Well, I, I share that information just to show you that people sometimes criticize what the Bible or what the church teaches and say, it's not right. But do you say that? How do you look at Jesus? What do you see in Jesus? As somebody who's there to take care of all your problems in this life, to make sure that you're going to have a perfect, happy life. Have you reduced Jesus to just somebody who can hand out little pleasures for you along the way, but forget what the scriptures say, that God has highly exalted him to the highest place and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Now that little word therefore that starts that passage is key because that word therefore tells us go back and read the previous verse which says being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. What it's telling us is look at Jesus as your savior who came to save you from your sins Yes, he will bless you in this life, but we are to honor and glorify him as the one who came to give up his life for us so that we would have eternal life. Is that right? Yeah. But now sometimes people will take their complaints and their criticism and turn it into what we might call conflict. That is action to try to stop or change something. Just think of Washington, D.C., and you see conflict where people are trying to stop or change the course of things. And so that's exactly what was going on here, too, in this crowd. Those Jewish leaders were saying, this is getting us nowhere. Our plan is thrown out the window. You see, their plan was to wait until the Passover was done and then to get rid of Jesus. But now, it was Passover week. And it looked like things were going to come to a head, which they did. Because that was God's plan. You see, God wanted the Savior to give up his life on Passover. That had been pictured for thousands of years through that Passover event when a lamb would be slain and its blood would be shed. It was a picture of the Messiah who would shed his blood for the sins of the world. 
The prophet Isaiah said, He would be led like a lamb to slaughter, and on him would be laid the iniquity of us all. That was God's plan, that the Lamb of God would be sacrificed on Passover. Nothing was going to stop that. Complaints, criticism, conflict, wow. Those are all ways that people try to challenge God, try to protest against his ways. And we might be guilty of that too. So the question then is, how do you stop the protests? Well, I think there are three things to keep in mind. First of all, think about it. and Be thoughtful. Listen to what God says. Not everything will go our way, but it always goes God's way. And God's way is right and best. In that same survey I referred to a few minutes ago, it also revealed that people have different views of the Bible. Now those top two rows indicate that a lot of people say the Bible is God's inspired word, correct in everything. But the bottom half of that chart reveals that a lot of people also say God's word, or the Bible rather, is not God's word, but it's simply man's word about God. And if you look at the very bottom line in red, I know it's small, it's some people believe that it was written intended to manipulate and control people. They don't want to listen. They don't want to listen to what God says. And sometimes maybe that's the way we are too. When it doesn't fit our plans, our desires for things, we want it to be different. And so we complain or criticize, maybe even try to change what God is doing. But the Apostle Paul reminds us that we are to take every thought of ours and hold it captive and make it obedient to Christ, obedient to what he says. The Apostle Paul also reminds us of this, that God has placed all things under Jesus' feet, which is a way of saying he controls it all. And he's appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is you and me. He's reminding us that God works over everything for our sake. So as we think about that, then let's also be faithful, or we might say this way, be faithful. Full of faith and trust in God's working. We may not always understand the ways and the whys of what's going on. But God understands it. He knows it perfectly. And he has told us it is only and always to bless you. So trust that. And then be thankful. Remember what I said before about perspective? When we trust what God is doing, even if we don't understand the why, and then have thankfulness over it, it'll change our perspective of things. I haven't always understood why everything we're doing with the remodeling takes place and certain things are made the way they are. But after a while, it finally sinks in, and I go, oh, I get it, it makes sense. 
And so it is with that same idea of trusting God's working and then to be thankful for what he is doing. Now, the bigger question might be, how do we make that kind of a perspective change? How is it that we can look at what we see in the road ahead in a different way? The answer is to see everything in the light of the crossroad, the one that Jesus walked for us. The Apostle Paul put it this way. I'm sorry, go back. The disciples finally figured it out. John said this, At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Finally, they saw it in the light of Christ and his mission to save. And that's what the Apostle Paul reminds us of too. He says, God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You see, when we change our perspective, like me with that paint spot, if I see it one way, it looks good. If I go like this, it doesn't look good. So if we change our perspective and see it God's way in light of the cross, then we know which path to take. Not one of complaining and criticizing and trying to change or stop what God is doing, the protests, but rather to change our life to one of praise. Look at how the evangelists describe what was going on on the other side of that crowd. When Jesus came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples, the whole crowd, began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Joyfully. Live your life joyfully, with joy from your heart, trusting what God is doing. When the prophet Zechariah foretold this event, he said, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Jerusalem, for your king is coming, righteous and having salvation. That's what our life is to be reflective of, the salvation God has given us. That's what our worship is to be about. Not about, what am I going to get out of it? Am I going to enjoy it? No, it's about, what am I going to give? Because what God has given to me. Why do we have Palm Sunday worship? Think about what's coming up when we hear about that terrible suffering of Jesus because of our sin. Palm Sunday was an event of victory. Well, so is Good Friday, victory. And so is next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. That is victory. Palm Sunday is a time for us to rejoice over that great salvation and to give Jesus honor. Not just what we do here, but throughout our life. Those people in Jerusalem, they took their jackets off and they threw them down for Jesus to walk over. It was a, a, a sign, a symbol of submission to God. So let us submit our whole life to God. When we do that, we'll also find that our life is not just one of praise, but it's also one of proclamation. Proclaiming God's word. When 
this parade in Jerusalem was going on, other people were hearing the noise and they were saying, what's going on? Who's coming? And the answer was, Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. They spread the word, Jesus has come. During these weeks before Easter, I like to sort through the, the mail and I see some of the ads that are coming from other churches. And it's nice to see other churches putting the word out about worshiping. Only I'm disappointed when some of them are simply advertising Easter egg hunts and one even saying, your kids can come and see the Easter bunny. <laughs> and they don't say anything about Jesus and the resurrection. Easter is about Jesus, who was crucified for our sins. The people who, who were there on that Palm Sunday, maybe a few days later were asking the question, why can't he save himself when he saved others? But what they would soon learn is, Jesus was saving others as he gave up his life, saving the world from its sin. But there would be so much more, so much more because on that Sunday he would rise from the dead to show his victory over sin and death and the devil. And you and I are the ones who get to rejoice because what happened then was the change, the change of one man's mission to be a movement for thousands of years, the change of lives, not just for the 70, 80, or maybe 90 years that we live here, but lives changed for eternity. So that means the road we walk on should be one of praise and proclamation. When those Pharisees complained to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus responded, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. You can't stop what God is doing in Jesus. So let's make the road we walk on one of praise and proclaiming. Because the road we walk on is the crossroad of Jesus. Amen.